Okay, you may be seated. A step-by-step guide to experience the life of a mother. To start off this experience, go to the kitchen and fill a gallon-sized bag with water. Carry that 10-pound bag of water around from 5 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wake up at midnight. Wake up at 3 a.m. Wake up at 6 a.m. and get ready for work. Look cheerful and be a productive member of society. To understand what it's like to feed a nine-month-old, take a melon, cut a hole in it, and suspend it from the ceiling. Swing it from side to side and attempt to spoon soggy oatmeal in the hole. You can forget about owning a sports car. The humble minivan is the official vehicle of motherhood. To make it look like a real family vehicle, take an entire package of cookies and smash them all over the van. Now you're ready to go to the grocery store. For this experience, take the closest thing to a preschool child you can find. A full-grown goat is an excellent choice. Be sure to pay for and clean up any messes that are caused by the goat. In the end, any mother will say that it's all worth it and that she wouldn't trade the experience for anything. Just remember, a good sense of humor is one of the most important things you need to be a mom. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Adrian Pineda, and I'm a part of the teen ministry. That's right, that's right. And I'm up here with my lovely mother, Judy Pineda, and she's a part of the Marys. So I just want to welcome you all this morning and just say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And for any visitors in the house, welcome to the Inland Empire Church of Christ. We're happy to have you. And I'm going to move it over to my mom and just say a couple words. Good morning. So that was my handsome son, Adrian. Who's going to be graduating next week, so very excited for him. <laughs> Moving on to Cal State. So I just wanted to take time as a mother to welcome all the mothers here. So why don't we have everyone in the room who's a mother go ahead and stand on up.
stay standing. Okay, so if you have been a mother for at least a year, stay standing. Otherwise, sit down. All right, wow. No new, new mothers yet, huh? Okay, how about five years? Wow. Ten? Fifteen? Twenty? And I'll crouch down when it's time for me. Twenty-five? Thirty? Forty? More than forty years? Wow. Fifty. Fifty years. More than fifty years. How about 60? More than 60 years? Oh, well, that did it. 55. Who's the winner? All right. Good job, ladies. Being a mother is the best blessing. Isn't that right? Thank you. So now what we're going to do is for all the mothers, please raise your hand, and we're going to have some gifts being passed out to all the moms in the room. To all the amazing moms out there, I know we too often take you for granted, but today we're going to make sure you know just how much we appreciate you. We see your hard work, the early mornings, the late nights. Being a mom is a job that never really ends. And even though it seems like we aren't listening, we hear your wisdom. We need your instruction. And we may not grasp the value today, but please never stop. Because one day, we'll see clearly just how important it all is. You've been an example of unconditional love and forgiveness. A glimpse into the heart of God. You've set a foundation for us that's not easily broken. So today, we ask God to bless you even more than we've been blessed by having you as a mom. And just so you know, that's an amazingly huge blessing. Happy Mother's Day. So today is going to be kind of a little different service. We're going to spend a lot of time worshiping, giving thanks not only to God, but to the mothers. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you so much for today and just getting to spend time as a family, Lord, worshiping you and just giving thanks, God, on, on such an awesome day for the amazing women in our life, our mothers, God, who, who have raised us and taught us and give us love and help us to know you even more, Father. I pray for this service that everything goes well that our hearts can worship you, Father, and our minds are set on the lesson. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, please stand on up as we sing 10,000 Reasons.
Please sing with us as we sing Amaze. You can remain standing.
Amen. Now with this next song, we're going to have full participation from everybody, so we need to be out of ourselves. We're going to be dancing, okay? I can sing of your love forever, okay? We're going to sing of God's love forever, amen? Amen? Okay.
still going. Yeah, I know. It's surprising. I'm already up here. Feels like we've only just begun. We want to keep you guys on your toes for Mother's Day. Well, good morning. How are you guys feeling? Good? All right. So it looks like we got a little bit of a space issue today. So if you do have any empty seats next to you, I want to urge you to please kind of move to the aisles and do not leave any open seats next to you because we got some people that are still waiting for a seat. So if you actually if you have open seats, go ahead and raise your hand real quick so we can get people to come and sit down. All right, we got, we got some seats there. Fantastic. We are all filled up for Mother's Day. Well, amen. It has been an eventful weekend. Can you get the uh, keynote up there, Britt? It has been a very eventful weekend so far. You know, on Friday night, the teens in the campus got to have our, an indie jam night together. So many of the teens in campus were performing it was very good. We have a lot of very talented people. Then that same very night, John Wall happened to hit the Miracle 3 to tie up the series. There it is, yeah. If you guys didn't see that game or that play, it was amazing, all right? So the Eastern Conference drags on again. But then even bigger news, our very own Sam and Sylvia got engaged last night. So normally they would be here with us, but they're actually in Riverside. Sylvia's with her, her family down there, and, and Sam's doing the communion. So, uh, but they're fired up, obviously, to be able to be engaged. So send them a text message or something. Tell them congratulations. Yeah, it kind of is about time. But Sam deceives you, because he's only 21. It's just his beard makes him look a lot older. You know, and on a personal note, last night I was able to celebrate my 30th birthday. Uh, my wife threw a great party, uh, great party. We had several people over for a barbecue. It's, it's weird to turn 30. I didn't think I was going to feel weird about turning 30 until about two days before I turned 30. And then all of a sudden, it was kind of like, wow, the 20s are gone. What is my life right now? And then, and then you know, Steve, Steve brought it up last weekend, but I was legitimately thinking about this. I was like, oh, Jesus started his ministry at 30. What am I even doing with my life? You start doing a lot of introspection and trying to figure yourself out. You go, okay, I'm, I've been a disciple for 15 years now, but now it's game time. Now I'm calling it the hashtag Jesus challenge. For the next three years of my life, what, what is God going to do with me? And then here we are, pulling it all together for Mother's Day. Moms, I'm going to say it again. I know it's been said many times, but happy Mother's Day. We are so glad that you're here with us, worshiping God. You know, moms are amazing. Are they not? They're amazing. And it's right that we take a a day to especially honor those who have taken up the mantle of motherhood. You know, God has blessed moms with some crazy abilities to handle motherhood, to, to make this happen. Right? In nature, mothers have crazy abilities. There's all the stories right about mother about mama bears that a mom could be bleeding to death and will kill anything to protect her cubs. There's a freaky thing that God did there. There's nothing there's nothing more dangerous in the world than a wounded mother protecting her children. All right? 
get, he blessed moms with this freaky sixth sense to know when there might be a car accident so the soccer mom stop arm goes out there. There's reports of mothers that lifted, their, lifted cars up off of their children. I was actually reading to confirm some of those things, and yes, it is real. Mothers have lifted cars off of people for their kids. And the list just goes on. God has done so many different things. But one of the biggest things that God has blessed mothers with is the ability just to continually teach us new things, right? Well, I've got a few pictures here. You know, this, this mom I'm about to show you, she teaches us how to appreciate the things that really matter in life. Or this next mom who teaches us, you know, there's an eternal struggle of moms for being needed, but you can deal with it like a boss in the 21st century. You know, this next mom was trying to teach her kids and and us that that there, there can be sometimes subtle ways to deal with bullies in this world. Now, this, this next mom is one of my favorites. This, this, this is kind of from my family. Not my, my mother would never do this. My dad would do this, absolutely. But sometimes you just need to teach your kids humility and just knock them off their high horse. This was a picture that a mother sent to her child. <laughs> my mom is endlessly supporting. She would never send me something like this. Or this mom, this is probably my favorite out of all of them. This mom teaches us that we don't get credit just for showing up. (laughs) She took a picture of all the food that she made. But finally, these next two moms continually teach me more about patience sacrifice and the love of God than almost anyone else in my life. I need to celebrate my favorite two moms. I'm very blessed to be able to preach a Mother's Day service and be able to celebrate with my wife and my mother. And, you know, as I shared a couple weeks ago, we got a second one on the way. Be praying for us. But... To both of you, I want to say happy Mother's Day. I love you both so much. So grateful for the moms that you are and all that you do to, uh, to teach me about God through your life. Um, well, today, we are going to be taking a brief intermission from our, our series that we've been doing on the church. I tried to figure out a way to make it work for Mother's Day, and there wasn't really a great way to do it in my eyes. So we're going we're gonna to be looking at some incredible mothers of the Bible. And these are women who God used for extraordinary purposes. And they give us some incredible lessons that we need to pay attention to. Amen? So brothers, you ready to learn from some mothers? Yeah? Amen? All right, well, let's say a prayer. Uh, this ne- or the title of my sermon here this morning is called Unlikely Vessels. And we'll say a prayer. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we have right now just to sit at your feet, to learn from some incredible women that you've put in the Bible. Uh, but just thank you so much for mothers and all that they mean to us, all that they teach us 
about who you are. God, I pray that you would open up our ears, our hearts, as we, as we uh, learn from your word. I pray that you speak through me, God, and we lift this all up to you in the name of the Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So there's a universal truth of the Bible that is a theme for our sermon this morning. God loves to use the overlooked and the unlikely for incredible things. Amen? But specifically, He also wants to teach us qualities about Him and character traits that He desires for us to have. And so we're going to look at these... Well, actually, here, let me show you this verse here first. This is a good one. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. it says, But God chose what the world considers nonsense to put wise people to shame. God chose what the world considers weak to put the strong to shame. There is a theme in the Bible of this, that that when God chose people for things, He didn't necessarily choose the most talented or the ones that you would most expect. It was oftentimes the ones that were like, wow, really, them? That's who you want? And these three women that we're going to look at are no different. They are not people that we would look at and just go, wow, yeah, God, God totally had a plan for this. But he did. And point number one in this sermon is love. And we're going to talk a little bit about the woman Ruth. So if you've got your Bible, turn over to Ruth chapter 1. I've got to get there too. The story of Ruth is an interesting one. We'll, uh, we'll pick up here in verse 3. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion die, also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each one of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to, and said to her, we, we will go back with you to, to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more, any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I too am old, uh, too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to two sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand is turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. We'll stop there. All right, so this is not a very happy picture that we see here in the Bible, right? Naomi's husband dies, then her two sons marry, and then they die. And so it's three widows hanging out together. And Naomi wasn't exactly in a very healthy place. She was frustrated. She, was, she thought God had turned against her. She even said, I don't know if you caught this, um, you know, she's, her name, Naomi, it means pleasant. But when they get into town, she says, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She's in a terrible place. And they're in a bad shape right now. They're struggling for food. Three widows together back that long ago, it wasn't like there were government programs ready to help them out. They were in trouble. And so they decided, okay, you know what? I heard that God's doing some things back home, so let's, let's head back to Bethlehem. And Ruth and Orville want to stay until she says, no, 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 look, you guys still have an opportunity. You guys can still get married. It's, it's, I'm too far gone, all right? But you guys can still get married. And Orba was like, you're right, I'm out of here. And she gets going. But there's Ruth. And what is she doing? Clinging to her mother-in-law. Don't make me go. Naomi even tries to convince her. She says, no, you've got to get out of here. There's still hope for you. And if you notice in verse 16, I'm going to read it again. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave with you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. I mean, what an amazing thing. Ruth had every opportunity to cut bait and run at this point. She had nothing left. And the opportunity here was to go to a land that wasn't hers with her bitter mother-in-law. And then when they got to town, I don't know if you caught this, it said they caused a stir. I don't know if it was just that these two widows were traveling together. You know, there's scholars that say because uh, Ruth was a Moabitess that she was probably darker skinned than everybody, so she probably stood out a little bit. But it wasn't like people were just ready to welcome them with open arms. They're like, is that Naomi? Is that Naomi? Nothing about this was a pleasant and fun situation to be in. And you know, the truth of this as well is the Jews didn't really like Moabites. So not only did Naomi stand out by physical characteristics, they just didn't like her because of who she was. Nothing about this situation is something where you go like, yes, sign me up. Why would Ruth leave her family and everything that she knew to travel with her frustrated, crotchety mother-in-law? And she was. I mean, you see it in there. Hey, imagine traveling with somebody that says, I want you to call me bitter. Road trip? To a place that she wasn't really welcome in the hopes that they would find food and shelter. There's only one thing that makes sense. Love. She loved her mother-in-law. 
And she wanted to be with her. She wanted to protect her. She wanted to do anything that she could to make sure she would be okay. You know, there's, there's always something to learn from this when it comes to mothers. My mother has dealt with this a little bit with me. There was a time in my life when I was going, starting to go through puberty and didn't realize it. My hormones were going all over the place. And uh, one day, I just was extra hormonal and emotional or something like that. And my mom was talking to me about something, and I just blew up. You don't understand. Like, just threw a total, like, prepubescent fit. Got on my bike and rode out of the house as quickly as I could. I didn't want to go very far, though, because I didn't want her to be worried. But I just wanted her to be a little bit afraid that I was gone. And I, I ran, I dropped my bike on the ground, ran up this hill and hid behind a bush in frustration. Didn't know why I was doing this. I was just so overcome with emotion and teenage hormones that I couldn't process it. Life was too much. And there was my mom coming out looking for me. Jake, she's my bike on the ground. Jake. (laughs) Then she eventually coerced me out, and I just kind of Charlie Brown my way home, and she took care of me and stuff. But she's had to deal with some frustrating things with me growing up. There's no reason my mom would, would ever put up with me like that if it were not for love. Amen? I know I'm difficult. It's okay. Because the reality of this is when you love someone unconditionally, you will do things that don't make sense. You'll put up with some frustrating nonsense. You'll even care to meet their needs over your own. Ruth's sacrificial love here is totally blessed by God. The story's great. If you haven't ever studied the book of Ruth before, you've got to. She goes out there. God totally hooks her up with an amazing husband, totally takes care of her, takes care of Naomi, it's, a, it's an amazing story. And not only this, through the love of Ruth, God saves Naomi from a bitter and frustrated life. The love of a, of a daughter-in-law that didn't need to stay with her changed her life forever. Ruth is demonstrating this to something to us that Jesus has been trying to teach us as well. In John 13, verse 34 I'm sure it's scripture that several of us are very familiar with. It says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus was the perfect example of sacrificial love. But he tells us, look, if you want to follow me, if you want to come be like me, you've got to learn to love like I do. You've got to learn to love like Ruth where you put your own agenda, your own life aside to be able to take care of the needs of others. You need to be willing to lay down your life. You need to be willing to wash the feet of your betrayer. Jesus is calling us to this kind of a sacrificial love. And I want you to just even think about this for a second. If we all had the spirit of love that Ruth shared, what would the relationships be like in this church? What would our families be like if there was a spirit about us that said, you know, yeah, I could take the easy way out. I could go and get what I want. But instead, you know what? I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to give myself up because I love you more than myself. This is what God is looking for from us, church. 
How are we doing? Point number two. Faith. We're going to look at another amazing woman. We're going to talk about Rahab. Turn over to Judges chapter, or Joshua, sorry, chapter 2. Sorry, I didn't change the slide for that. So starting in verse 1. So what happened here, right, is that is the Israelites have gone out of Egypt. They're now getting ready to go into the Promised Land. And they've got to go fight the Battle of Jericho. So Joshua sends some guys in to check it out. And in verse 1 it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. You have to read that very carefully. Go look over the land, he said. Especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, They left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did in Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God of heaven, in heaven, above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my, brother and si- my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let down a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. We'll stop there. So another crazy story, right? So the spies are going in to go check out Jericho. And it's interesting that the first place they go to is the prostitute's house. The Bible doesn't, like, like confuse what she is. He just says straight up, she's a prostitute. Why in the world is that their first stop? And there's a lot of interesting things that they talk about here that Rahab might have been just socially clued in with what was going on in Jericho. She actually had a lot of respect. She was, she was a part of something in the city. But either way, it's kind of interesting that God's spies go in and they stop at the prostitute's house. What's even crazier about this is that she puts her life on the line for foreigners who are spying her city to destroy it. So connect the dots there. A prostitute protects these guys who are trying to destroy her city. 
And look at what she notices, what she says in verse 9. This is pretty amazing. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. This woman's a Canaanite. This God is not her God. But her response to these spies coming in is like, look, I know that your God is the real deal. I know that your God is the God that everybody else pretends to be. You guys are a part of something that we can't even understand. When we heard about the stuff going on, man, it completely changed our lives. We knew that we were going to get wrecked because your God is the real deal. Think about the faith that that takes. She had more faith than the Israelites that were actually going in there to go attack the city. This woman didn't experience wandering through the desert. She didn't see the, she didn't see the, the, the cloud of sulfur coming down. She didn't get to experience water from the rock. She didn't see any of those miracles. She only heard about them and said, this is God. This is the one. You know, the Bible defines faith in Hebrews 11 one, as being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. What faith Rahab had. In the face of everything that was going on, she's like, no, no, no. I've got to take care of these guys. And again, this wasn't her God. And then in verse 12, she actually, she actually takes it a step further and tells him, she's like, I want you to swear to me by your God. Because I know he's the real deal, and you would never make a promise on the name of your God and not follow through with it. This reminds me very clearly, when I think about what Rahab is doing here, of Matthew 8, verse 10, when Jesus holds up the centurion. And what had happened in this story, right, is that the centurion sends somebody out because he's, he's got a servant who's sick. He says, Jesus, I want you to come heal him. He says, okay, I'm coming. He says, no, 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 you don't need to come. Just say the word, and he'll be healed. This centurion, who had no concept of God, he was an Italian, he wasn't, he, this wasn't his people, but he said, I know that you can do this. And when Jesus heard about this guy, this is what he says. He says, when he heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This is one of a handful of times in the Bible that Jesus was ever amazed by anything. And it was by a guy that was not an Israelite, a guy that had never met Jesus before, and just simply said, I know you can do this. And I want to bring up uh, our sister Yara for a minute. She's going to come up to, to share a little story about faith that she experienced in her family. Oh, yeah. Hello, church. Okay, is, is this clear? Yeah, okay. My name is Yara Al-Hin, and I'm a part of the campus ministry. Uh, today I would like to share about a warrior that is in my life. There are many warriors around us, especially, especially in church. I personally believe that a warrior is not born, but the, a warrior is created. They are the ones that conquer their pain and suffering. I think that all mothers are warriors. Yes, I, I, they are beautiful. Yes, they are sacrificial. But they are way more than that. Today, I would like to share about a beautiful warrior 
of faith sitting among us, my, my mom. I want to encourage all women the same way that she has encouraged me. By telling you why she is a warrior of faith. She's Samar 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 Alhin. When three years ago, when my father passed away, it was a very challenging time for me as a daughter and for my mother as both a wife and especially a mother. Um, and it was also very challenging for all the churches in the Middle East. And that, at that time, I remember my mom just praying and, and crying, just shouting out to God and asking me to pray with her, to ask for guidance. I watched her faith grow exponentially to the point where it started impacting everyone around her, including me. I remember this sister in, in, in Jordan once told me, your mother's tears have watered my faith. That, at that point, I realized that she, she did not only conquer her own pain, but by doing that, she helped influence not only my faith, but the faith of the people around her. I started asking myself, where am I putting my pain? Where am I placing it? Am I putting it in God's hands? Or am I just hiding it away? At that time, I was just put, hiding my emotions, just locking them down. And it took me some time. But because, because of her faith and because she was in touch with herself and real with herself, I decided to hand my, my pain and, and what I'm going through to God. So I decided to study the Bible. And it took me a long time to study the Bible, but I got baptized in the summer of 2015. As women, we tend to choose to lock down our, our pains. And sometimes we, we forget that if we just hand them to God, He will create, create, create them to be better. And he would turn them into smooth stones of faith that we can carry around to help us with our next challenges and even help the people around us as well. And while I was reading this verse, uh, it reminded me of my, my mom's faith and love a lot. Um, and and it, it answered the question of from where did my mom get all that power and faith and strength? Um, to conquer her pain. And it, it's in Galatians 5, 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. It, it was not by her own power that turned her pain into faith, but it was because of the stored love that she had for God. And through that love, her pain was shaped and trimmed into a shining jewel of faith. And from this, I learned how to build my faith by taking every 
a challenge and looking at every challenge as an opportunity to increase, both increase my faith and build a stronger, build a stronger relationship with God. Thank you. Hey Amen. I love, I love Yara's story sharing about Samadhi because that, that's a great and powerful example of faith. That in the world that we live in, it's not necessarily about believing in a God that we don't know. It's more about trusting God in circumstances that we really can't see the answers with. And Rahab demonstrates this to us. It's part of why she's mentioned in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith as being a woman of faith. And I appreciate that we have practical examples because our lives... There's plenty going on around us to challenge our view and our trust in God. But I will tell you, God has done plenty to show us that He's deserving of our faith. Jesus was trying to help His disciples to have faith constantly. Sometimes it takes us just being willing to step out, on the boat, step out of the boat and trust God when we may not see a clear step in front of us. Rahab, the prostitute, only needed to hear of God's power to step out on faith. God spared her and her family and brought her into the fold. I don't know if you caught this little detail there. It said that her house was built into the wall. If you remember the story of Jericho, they blew around trumpets and the wall fell down. So I don't know if that means like all the wall except her part or what. But either way, God did a miracle here to spare Rahab because he recognizes people of faith. Jesus wants us to have faith. And I've been praying for this, specifically for us as a Rancho Church, to be men and women of faith. Amen? Third and finally, we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness. We want to look at at Bathsheba. 2 Samuel, chapter 7. Starting in verse 11. It reads here, I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. I want to stop there. So you might be thinking, where's Bathsheba in all this? We're getting there. So consider what promise God just gave to David here. He said, look. Somebody from your lineage, your child, is going to be a part of a huge promise. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to call them my son. They're going to be reigning. Their their line is going to reign forever. I mean, this was a huge thing David got to hear from God. I mean, this isn't mentioned very in almost any other places of the Bible. Parents, how would you feel if God specifically told you that this is what was going to happen to one of your children? I'm going to take care of you. They're going to be mine. They're going to carry on a bloodline. I mean, this was an incredible 
an incredible thing to hear. The question for us is, who would you expect the mother to be of this promise? And at this point of David's life, he had six wives. Not really a good thing, but he had six wives. And some of them were some incredible women. He had royal bloodline. He had Saul's daughter, Michal. He had another one, uh, Micah, the daughter of Talmai, the daughter, the king of Gesher. I don't even know what that means. He had Abigail as his wife. If you've never read the story of Abigail, she is an amazing woman of the Bible. Like she would, David married her just purely because she was incredible. There was no like royal benefit. There was no like treaty that that did. He just saw Abigail's faith and how she took care of things and was like, dang, I've got to marry that one. So when you think about this promise and who God would have chose of David's wives, think, okay, maybe a royal one. Or maybe at least Abigail. I mean, come on, Abigail's awesome. 20 years after God makes his promise to David, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. If you don't know the story, so he saw, he stayed home from war, saw a woman bathing, decided that he wanted to sleep with her, but he also found out that it was one of his mighty men, one of his friend's wives, took her and slept with her anyways. She got pregnant. They tried to cover it up by bringing him back from the battle. He wouldn't sleep with her, so he had him killed. It's the most grievous sin, arguably, in the Bible. Horrific. Now, how many of you think that this is the kind of woman you would want to choose to answer this promise? And honestly, we don't really know much about Bathsheba other than this. How willing of a participant she was in all this, in the cover-up and the sin itself. She also had to suffer the loss of her, of her husband and her firstborn son because of their sin. This was not a pretty picture. This woman is not known for being this, like, spiritual and holy woman. But what else do we know about her? She became the mother of Solomon, who was the fulfillment of God's promise to David. Why in the world would God choose an adulteress to be the answer to this promise? What in the world is God thinking? Let me tell you what I think this tells us about God. We do not have to be defined by our own sin. Even a sin that's as grievous, horrific, and could be life-defining as what Bathsheba did, this is not all that God sees. He's always looking at a bigger picture. We could only know her as Bathsheba the adulteress. But instead, we get to know her as Bathsheba the mother of Solomon, the fulfillment of God's promise to David. There is something incredibly profound about God's forgiveness and grace in this. That God would be willing to look past the sins of David, past the sins of Bathsheba, and make Solomon... Not just the answer. He was one of the most successful kings in all of history. Her son. The adulteress's son. You know, personally in my life, this story does mean a lot to me. There was a point in my life when I was, uh, when I was in college where I had been in some pretty serious sin. And it had gotten to this point where I was 
I was ready to walk away from God. And most of it was just in my heart, in my mind, I just could not imagine a scenario where God would still have anything left for me. I was done. I had confessed. I started talking about what happened. I did want to change, but I was hopeless. I thought, okay, if God does decide to forgive me, my lot in life is to sit in the back of church and be a source of shame for the rest of my life. And I remember telling Stuart, I think I'm done. I think God's finished with me. I remember he said, come on, come with me. He took me up to the University of Florida football stadium. It's the highest point in Gainesville because Florida's totally flat. Took us up to the top of the stadium where we'd prayed many times before. I couldn't pray. I couldn't even look at God. I sat there listening to him pray. And then he put his arm around me. He said, I'm not going to let you go that easy. That moment was a defining moment in my life. That changed everything for me. I was ready to leave God. I thought God was finished with me. But God used Stuart as a source of his forgiveness to show me I'm not defined by that. That's not all that I am in his eyes. That's not all he has planned for me. And because of that moment, because of that forgiveness, I have the ability to stand up in front of you now. No better place do we see the reality of forgiveness than through Jesus. In Luke 23, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, looking down at the men that are casting lots for his clothes, that nailed his hands to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. The story of the cross and the story of Bathsheba is that God is willing to forgive any sin. Any of us that are in the depths of any sin, and he can still use us to write the pages of eternity. You know, all these three women would have been ostracized in our society. If they came to our church, we might even look at them funny. But God was using these three women, these unlikely women, for something so much much more spectacular than we could ever begin to understand. And in Matthew chapter 1, God actually ties this together for us. Let me show you this. He's going through the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. He says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. These three women were the great-grandmothers of the Messiah. And then this all came together. The apex of motherhood. When God chose a faithful, unwed teenage girl 
the task of bearing and raising the Son of God. Mary's an incredible woman. I could have spent an entire sermon just talking about her for Mother's Day. And there's something I want to leave you with here as we're, as we're closing out. She raised and taught the Messiah. You know, Jesus didn't come out of the womb ready for the cross. He had to be raised and to be groomed and to be led by his mother. And then there's another point of this too. At some point, Joseph died. Nobody knows when in Jesus' life Joseph, Joseph died. But at some point, Mary was a single mother. Raising Jesus and all of his siblings. Amen to all the single mothers out there. But I imagine Mary sitting with Jesus as a child and telling him the story of his great-grandmother Ruth. About her love for Naomi and how God blessed that. Telling him about his great-grandmother Bathsheba and how God forgave her of this horrific sin and saved her from the darkness. And then finally about his great-grandmother Rahab, the prostitute. Think that was a fun conversation to explain to your kid about your great-grandmother? This woman who belonged to a shameful people and a shameful profession who had more faith than most of God's own people and that God spared her from destruction and brought her into his family. I'll leave you with this thought. Maybe these three women is where Jesus started to grasp the concept of faith. The concept of love. The power of God's forgiveness. Maybe this was the source of some of the things that he taught to his disciples. Let me tell you about my great-grandmother and the things that she did. Moms, I hope you feel valued today. And I hope you know how important you are to God, to us as a church, to individually in your family. But for everyone in here, I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror. You may not feel worthy, or you may feel like you're beyond saving. God likes to use the most unlikely vessels. He used the love of a foreigner, the faith of a prostitute, and an adulteress to pave the way for the Messiah. Imagine what he could do with you and me. As we take the communion here in just a minute, I want us to meditate on how amazing it is that God used these incredible stories of redemption to get us ready for Jesus so that Jesus could pay the price for us. We're a part of something much bigger, a story that is more grand than just your life. So let's say a prayer for the communion here together. God, I want to thank you so much for the incredible ways that you love. For the, the limitless mercy and forgiveness that you show to us, God. Father, as we sit at the foot of the cross, as we meditate on Jesus and his love for us, I pray that, that we do not miss out on the, on the magnitude of what you use these three women for, but, but also what you want to use our lives for. And that you love us so much that you want, you're willing to send your son to redeem us, to be a part of a bigger story. We love you so much, God. And see your son, Jesus, and we pray.
Amen, church. It's been a great day. Uh, you can't say it enough. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. It is um, it's a wonderful thing. I think about my mother, 74 years old, still working at Macy's, always been there, always been an example. Um, I think of my mother-in-law, uh, North Carolina, all the great mothers in my life. And then there's my incredible wife, Nicole. Happy Mother's Day, babe. Well, this is a time in our service where we take up the offering. You know, we, we've talked about mothers, and there's something that hit me. seems pretty simple. But you realize that if we didn't have mothers, most of us wouldn't be here. There might be a couple of you that, you know. <laughs> but because God gave us mothers, we are able to be here. And everything else that we can dream about, think of, want to do, begins with that, the life that they gave us. And so with our offering, we have an opportunity to thank God, to honor him in this particular way for what he's given us. And I want us to look at a scripture in Exodus. Turn with me to Exodus 35. Because this was a time in Israel's history where they had just come out of Egypt and God had laid out uh, a requirement for them to build a tabernacle. And so Moses comes to the people, beginning in verse 4, and he said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. And the next, next line begins, Everyone who is willing. You know, God gave a command because he knew that this was something that we needed. We needed to be able to come together. We needed to be able to worship him. We needed to be able to share our appreciation for him. But even in that context, he begins with this, those who are willing. God has always wanted our hearts, and especially in this way. You know, it continues in verse 22. After he lays it out, it says, All who were willing, again, men and women alike, came and brought gold and jewelry of all kinds, Brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had purple, blue, or scarlet yarn of fine linen or goat hair, ramskins dyed red with other durable leather brought them. Those representing an offering of silver or bronze brought it in as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who had acacia wood from any part of work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun. Blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, and all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the effort and breastplate. They also brought spices and olives, oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrance incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offering for all the work the Lord, through Moses, had commanded them to do. And you know, this is a special time of the year for us because next week we will be taking up, anybody remember? Special missions. Amen. You know, we, we, we recently purchased this building. It is a big cavernous place. But you know, in my mind, and through some pictures that we saw a couple of weeks ago, it is going to be a beautiful, beautiful place of worship for God. You know, we support our work in the Middle East. 
through the special missions. And then every week we take up our offering here for the work that we're doing here in the Inland Empire. And in all these things, God is, is, is doing incredible things and showing incredible miracles. But as I look at what was going on here, I see individuals with different skills and different talents. I don't think any one of them knew what their efforts were going to add up to. But what they did is whatever they had, because they were willing to honor God, they brought it and they made every effort. And if we look further on in chapter 20, 36, beginning in verse 4, it says, So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded to be done. Just that little effort alone, deciding that I will do something, I will make something happen to honor God, to show and express my thanks for what he has given me, overwhelmed the ability to use what was given. And, you know, I think for myself, about five years ago, uh, we were going through a challenging time financially, and I was wondering, you know, what were we going to do for our special missions? How were we going to raise money? And I heard that my job was offering matching donations uh, to people who had given to um, just different groups around. I think we didn't hear anything about churches, but they said, if you had donated anything, we will see if we can match it. So a couple of us who went to church said, you know what, let's see if they'll do it for God. And we went to them, and we presented it, and by the grace of God, it was blessed. And so every year for the last five years, my company has given $1,000 to our mission work here. Amen. But you know, it, it occurred to me, this was not my doing, I didn't set it up, but God showed me an opportunity, and I chose to take it, and it has borne fruit for five years. And I know that for many of you, it, it could be where you work, it could be a skill that you have, but God is giving you opportunities to help raise money to do his work. I pray that we open our eyes, take the example of the Israelites, Take whatever it is you have and make the most of it, and God will overwhelm us with what he gives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you, Father, for your mercy. We thank you for the mothers that you've given us. We thank you so much for the blessing of life. We thank you, Father, for knowing Jesus, the love and the mercy that comes through him. And God, we thank you for the ability to give back to you, to join in you in the work that you're doing, Father. I pray, God, that you bless the offering that's taken up. I pray, God, that you continue to bless our efforts. Open up our minds and our hearts to ways in which we can continue to raise uh, money and do things for you, Father, to bring you glory. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While we're completing our offering, I want to make a couple announcements to the congregation. But before we do that, I did want to say, um, 
you know, thank you, Femi, for leading us to a great scripture about uh, how when our hearts are willing, God will, will give us even more than, the, than is needed for the work uh, of his kingdom. Uh, but then Jake, uh, great job, Jake. I mean, loved his sermon. Um, you know, tying together how, you know, Jesus' great-grandmothers uh, were a source of inspiration and how uh, women in unlikely situations can be a great inspiration of, uh, of love, of faith, and forgiveness. So thank you, Jake. Great, great job. Moms, I hope you were encouraged and inspired. A uh, couple uh, announcements for the congregation. I want to bring up Chris Argetta for a Married's Ministry announcement. Where my Mary's at? All right. Looks like you guys are awake. Well, I'm here, as you may be able to tell, to invite you guys to the Mary's Luau. It's going to be happening May 27th. If you're not going to go out of town for the long weekend, we'd really appreciate, we really would be so happy to have you guys, all of you married, married couples, to come out to the Luau's. It's going to be held at the Navarrete's home. And we'd like uh, to request a $5 donation per couple, donation, okay, not mandatory, but just to help out with the food. And also, please RSVP with Maria Navarrete by May 24th, okay, it's because space is limited. So please use this as an opportunity to be evangelistic and bring your friends out. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have uh, good food provided by, uh, where's Nicole? Nicole Williams. She's going to be doing our catering. And I'm going to be spinning some Hawaiian tunes, and we might have some surprises too. So hopefully you guys can all make it out there for the marriage, okay? Love you guys. I want to make mention to the campus ministry. The International Campus Ministry Conference is in Austin, Texas. Registration is open. I heard they're going to do a $10 like discounted flash sale. Keep your eye open. If you haven't registered yet, you can save a little, but we want to get registered, and you need to book your hotel, uh, I believe, by the end of May. You've got to at least book the hotel in Austin, Texas, uh, or the rates are going to go up. So we want to uh, secure that. Uh, the teen and youth camp registration is necessary. I know that uh, the teen camp costs, are, they're going to eventually close the teen camp registration. Please be registering for your teen and youth camp. Registration is online. Also today, our Hope Scouts are doing a, a missions fundraiser. I'm really excited about that. And it's Mother's Day pictures with your kids. All right. So in the lobby, uh, I believe it's in the lobby or is it? It's Okay, it's in the room right here, the children's ministry room. They've got it set up uh, for awesome professional Mother's Day pictures. And it'll raise money. The Hope Scouts group that we're doing will help raise money for missions. So that's an awesome thing. I hope that uh, moms and daughters and sons that you'll get some great pictures from that. Amen? Uh, be prepared with midweek together this week right back here in our building. And then uh, next week, of course, our big mission Sunday. I'm really excited uh, talking about the Middle East World Missions and, and really advancing our ministries locally. Uh, we get to hear it's going to be his first Sunday full sermon from Fadi Al-Hin. He's preaching the word. Really proud of you, man. He's going to preach. And share about our work in the Middle East. Of course, his family's from Jordan, and we're really excited to hear from him. So let's stand up. We'll have a closing song, and you will be dismissed. Please join us as we sing Let It Rise.
others said, you are dismissed.